take new medicines? How do our bodies fight diseases? How do vaccines work? All of these questions and more will be answered in the next 25 minutes. Hello and welcome to Newcastle University's Ask Our Experts series. As we can't visit schools or run events at the moment, we thought we would bring our scientists and engineers to you virtually. My name is Claire and I'll be asking our experts your questions. This week we're interviewing biochemist Ruth. Hi, I'm Ruth and I'm a PhD student at Newcastle University and I work in the medical school. So I work in a lab which works on a technology called um, mass spectrometry but this basically just uses a big laser to look at all of the different molecules so the fats um, which are called lipids and the proteins and all of the other bits that are in different samples that we get so it might be a clinical sample so we might look at blood we might look at actual tissue samples from a clinical point of view or we might look at other things um, such as cells in particular what i do is i use um, a specific type of this called matrix assisted laser desorption ionization mass spectrometry which sounds a lot more complicated than it is so the shorthand is called MALDI-TOF mass spectrometry or MS I mix whatever sample I have with some matrix which is which just allows it to form uh, ions so allows it to have a positive or a negative charge um, I'll then spot this on like a target plate um, put it into my mass spectrometry and a laser will hit this and the sample will fly into the machine and I will get a profile out of it. I then compare the profiles of healthy and diseased cells and identify what the actual molecules are and I compare these profiles, look at the differences between them so they act like a fingerprint. I then add potential new drugs to the diseased fingerprint and I see if it looks more like the healthy fingerprint and I'm trying to identify new drugs using this. So would you say you don't actually, like, you're not making the new drugs, you're just testing which ones look like they might work. Is that right? Yes. So there's a whole drug development pipeline that's the standard in drug discovery. So at the beginning, most, most of the time, you identify what you're going to target. So you might say, this is a disease that lots of people have um, and this is the problem that they have. Um, so we want to try and um, find a drug that will help these people. So they'll identify within that the specific part of the body that needs to be targeted um, to actually have that effect and to stop and to stop that disease basically or they'll try to identify it um, especially if it's um, a disease that lots of people have been working on like HIV so in those circumstances they knew what the disease was but they were struggling to identify what to actually target to have the effect the next step that happens is lots of different um, groups of people like lots of chemistry groups will actually make different chemicals that have different structures that might potentially be a new drug uh, so the next stage is like screening all of those and it's a very fast process these uh, molecules come in libraries which are over a million of these co different compounds per library so um, basically you want to 
if you think of a library with all of the books, you want to have to take off and try every book in this hole that you have to see whether it fits the right one. But it's not book shaped. It's like much more complicated shape than that. Like it's uh, made up of like different pentagons and hexagons and um, loads of different bonds that you do get in structures. Uh, levels that we do um, for actually screening these compounds are like uh, five to six un in under a second. Um, so, and uh, this is the area that I'm working. There are more drug discovery bits of the pipeline further on like the than this, such as the ones which have been used for the COVID vaccine. Um, so after you identify what your potential drug is, you'll do some like, uh, it's called optimization, trying to work out or the best structure that you can get for this uh, new drug is so that it will work in the best way and have the least side effects for people um, and you have to go through um, you have to work out whether it is toxic for people uh, whether what concentration would be the best to give people so how big those tablets are that you get part of those you go into like the clinical trial stages which I think much more many more people know about now <laughs> so um, to work out all those things before they finally hit the shelf um, so this question came from Corbridge Middle School, their year six class, and they asked, how do our bodies fight diseases? There's lots of different ways our bodies fight diseases. If you think about our emergency services, so we have the police, we've got firemen, and we've got um, the ambulance service, and each of them respond to different emergencies. Like that, our bodies have different um, methods of actually defending themselves, because if you think about it, they're constantly under attack. We have um, like bacteria that's floating around in the air or even just like dirt and dust that you wouldn't want to get inside of you. All of these things together, so like the bacteria, any viruses or anything else that might want to come in, it's seen as like foreign and it's also called a pathogen uh, in science terminology. So what happens is the first level of like protection that your body has is actually barriers to stop these things from coming in. So your skin is actually one of um, the massive defences of your body, so that's a physical barrier. So when you actually cut yourself, you're actually uh, breaking one of the barriers. So that's why um, when you cut yourself, you need to wash it and put a plaster on, um, because that plaster is actually protecting um, that hole in your barrier and stopping things getting into your skin. So your eyes, whilst you might like look at them and not actually think that they have a barrier so tears are actually the barrier of the eyes so there's a liquid layer over them and then the tears come out so the tears actually um contain enzymes which can break down um or stop these um uh, different pathogens from getting in so they're seen as like chemical barriers um in your nose you've got holes so everything that there's a hole on your body basically um will have a barrier so the nose has hairs inside of it um, and they form a physical barrier to stop things from getting in. So your throat has um, cells in it that are called um, ciliated cells and they're called ciliated cells because they have cilia on and cilia are basically massive hairs <laughs> and these hairs actually waft um, 
So they waft like this up and down and they'll waft pathogens and they'll move mucus. Um, so when you have a cold, um, what you also have in there are goblet cells which secrete mucus. Um, and the reason that you think you have a cold and the reason you produce so much mucus is because the body uses the mucus as a defense to actually trap some of these uh, pathogens, the bacteria, the dirt um, together and then it moves it up into your throat and then you actually, most of the time, you swallow it actually back down um, into your stomach because your stomach has stomach acid in it, um, which will actually dissolve it or you might cough it up depending on um, what stage it's at basically of this whole cycle. So they're the barriers that you have. Then what you also have in your body is you have different parts of your immune system that work together. As part of the immune system though, there are over 50 billion cells in your body that actually uh, work together um, to get rid of all of these pathogens and they make, every second, they make 120,000 new immune cells um, to actually fight these things. So your body is constantly trying to keep you healthy. It mainly consists of two types of white blood cells. The first type are called phagocytes. These uh, live in your bloodstream and they're attracted to and they bind to anything that's a pathogen that's foreign in the blood and what they actually do is I always think that they act a bit like those monsters that you see on programs that like come round because what they do is they come round they'll engulf whatever it is and destroy the pathogen and then the second type is lymphocytes so these pathogens, basically, they have markers on the surface and these markers actually allow them to attach to other types of cells. So cells in your body will have one type of marker which your body will, will recognise and say, hey, that's part of me, that's part of my body, um, I recognise you. However, um, if it's a bacteria or a virus, um, it won't be recognised by the body. Um, so, and these markers are actually called antigens. So lymphocytes actually recognise these antigens on the surface of the pathogen and they, they say, wait a minute, you're not part of my body. Um, I don't recognise your marker or your antigen. This can take a few days, uh, which is why, especially when you get a new cold or something, you feel ill for a few days if you haven't had it before. Um, because it's those few days when your body's still trying to recognise these markers that um, whatever the pathogen is, the bacteria or the virus is, that it can actually give you the symptoms so that it can reproduce and like uh, colonise your body basically because <laughs> that's its aim. Um, so some of them can also produce toxins that aren't good for your body um, and that can lead to these symptoms as well. Um, however, these lymphocytes can also produce um, what's called antitoxins, which will actually neutralise these toxins. However, when these lymphocytes uh, recognise these uh, markers, or when they have recognised that they don't belong to your body, what, you can, what they actually do is they create the antibodies, um, which actually fight the infection, and then they also produce um, a cell called a memory cell. And these memory cells um, remain in the bloodstream, and if you happen to get that um, particular virus or uh, bacterial infection again, they'll be like, hey, we, we know what you are. We know you're not part of our body, but we know what you are and we know how to fight you. And that's why you're said to be immune to something as well.
I think that led really nicely onto the next question, um, how do vaccines work? Vaccines work because vaccines tend to have a dead form or an altered form of whatever the bacteria or the pathogen is. Because they're a dead or an altered form, they will still have these markers that the alive form and the active form would have. When you get flu, you can have different levels of flu, for example. So you can have it really mildly or you could have it really severely. So what happens in altered forms is, um, and why they say that you might get like a few few like flu-like symptoms after if you have the flu jab or something, is because the altered form um, would be like the mildest form that they could make it. And the reason that it might be one of these two forms is because it might be that the dead form wouldn't work in that case. But what happens is by introducing this dead or altered form into your body, your body actually has the chance to recognise those antigens um, or the markers on the surface. And if you say get the dead form, you wouldn't actually get any symptoms, but you would get the memory cells produced, the antibodies produced. And then if you got infected with it again, your memory cells would actually, or it would get recognised and then um, the antibodies would get produced. So this was asked by Abby, who's 11, and she wanted to know how do people get allergic reactions to things? Allergic reactions are also the immune system. What happens is, as I've already described, so your body will recognise the markers on your own cells as belonging to the body and saying, hey, I recognise you. What happens with an allergy is that it's a, it recognises... Um, uh, one of these markers on the surface of, say, peanuts or eggs or pollen. Um, and it says, hey, you don't belong to me and you're not meant to be here. In most people's bodies, it just recognises it um, as like not an issue. So it's just like, fine, you're here. We're not going to do anything about it. However, in some people, this can trigger reactions. And then these are called the allergens. So this would be what would cause your allergic reaction. So if you're allergic to peanuts then your body doesn't like peanuts um, and it seems to recognise them as foreign and decide that they really don't want to be there. So what happens is during this um, reaction, your immune system will release antibodies. These antibodies are proteins that actually deliver messages to cells and say, stop the nuts or stop whatever the substance is. Um, and then the cells send out something called histamine. This histamine will cause your blood vessels to expand massively and other chemicals and these will then trigger all of the allergy symptoms that you've heard about. So each of these antibodies, as I've already mentioned, will only target one type of allergen. One antibody will be like, I don't like nuts. So that's why some people only have a nut allergy. What happens is when you come in contact with any of these allergens, it could be through your skin, it could be through your eyes, your nose, your mouth, your stomach. Um, that's why it causes um, all of your sinuses to clog up. It causes it skin inflammation. It makes it harder to breathe. It can cause stomach problems because the immune system is trying to fight it like it's an invader, basically. That's really interesting. I am actually allergic to nuts, so <laughs> I found that quite interesting. I'd really thought about what... I suppose when I do have an allergy, I've got bigger things to think about than what is actually happening in my antibodies and things. But yeah, that's really interesting. Um, yeah, I've got loads of allergies, so I must have loads of antibodies that are really picky. Um, but yeah, that's interesting. What's interesting with that as well is that um, allergies can tend to run in family lines um, because it's to do with genetic 
predisposition as well so it can run in your dna so your mum or your, your dad might have an allergy and that can also be carried down so did you always want to be um a scientist and if not did you want to be something different when you were younger i was a very unimaginative child <laughs> um, from lots of perspectives as in so the first way i'd say i didn't really know what i wanted to be growing up and I was exploring all of the options that I possibly had. So I did always really like science. I liked maths, wasn't so much into art. And I must admit, after reading that many books in English at GCSE, I was just like, never again. Um, in terms of literature and English studies, I do enjoy reading outside of that though. <laughs> um, and I do find um, some of it interesting, just not what I want to like, do for the rest of my life. Um, however, I have always really enjoyed learning how stuff works, but not just how stuff works from an engineering perspective. Well, I guess you could call it an engineering perspective, but more in terms of like how it actually works inside of our bodies, how um, stuff in like at a cell level, how the interactions occur, how um, our bodies actually respond to invaders and pathogens, how the body's evolved to do all of these many different processes and how it's still evolving um, in, t in many ways. And there's so many mysteries and things that people haven't discovered in the body or they find they find better ways of looking at it. So there's uh, there might be a new invention which can allow, such as the microscope, which allowed people to look at the cells in so much more detail than they'd ever managed to look at them before. Um, and every time this happens, um, and this is what science is about, is about exploring the unknown in basically the world around us, um, but at whatever levels we're looking at it. So what was your kind of career pathway? Did you go straight from your biochemistry degree to your PhD or did you do anything in between? When I left uh, sixth form, I actually went to study medicine for a year, so I was going to be a doctor. I really loved science and my school was just like, if you really love science, why not go be a doctor? And I did enjoy some aspects of it, but I will say I more enjoyed looking at the interactions, um, which are more of the biochemistry side, than I did the other bits. So. I actually had some problems during this year with my health, myself, um, and I actually worked out that whilst I might enjoy looking at like where stuff is placed in the body, so like the liver's here, and actually looking at the cells that are there, I don't enjoy learning the names of muscles and how they interact. Um, from that, from the perspective of trying to work out what disease somebody has, I enjoy looking at it from the other perspective of the scientists going, oh, what's going on with all of the like the little molecules going on in between the cells that make the, the muscles move this way, rather than this muscle is moving this way and this muscle is moving this way. And that's more of the anatomy side that you get with being a doctor, because you're, you're more looking for like the big picture changes. And they love looking at those sort of things and they learn so much. And I just, after that year, I actually took a gap year and I went and did some youth work for a year because I actually love working with kids and exploring stuff like that. Um, so I, and whilst I was doing that year, I actually decided, actually, 
hang on a minute, which are the bits that I love of this this degree? And they're actually looking at the different interactions between cells. And I was like, actually, it's okay to change my mind and to go and do something else, which is actually looking at the bits of science that I actually love looking at. So I actually switched degrees from my medicine and I decided not to become a doctor, um, not a doctor in a hospital anyway. Um, and I started a biochemistry degree and what I actually did uh, is I looked at these interactions between cells and I actually, during that time, did a year in industry. So I worked for a company um, and that really inspired me to actually, um, that was when I got the first taste of mass spectrometry, which led me to apply for this PhD that I'm doing now to like, further look into that and it also uh, helped me to understand that actually I want a job in like science research as well. Um, that's really interesting. I applied to do medicine as well when I was in year 13 but I didn't get in so that's why I didn't end up being a doctor but I think if you are interested in science and I would recommend science to literally everybody um, if go for whatever you enjoy basically is why recommendation but science has so many different and interesting things that you can look at which is why I enjoy it and why I enjoy looking at the different interactions but um and it's why I actually wanted to be the scientist that I am today but if you are interested in science I would definitely recommend looking at like all of the different options that you've got because um if I was back there again and somebody had told me about biochemistry before, I think that that's what I would have applied for to begin with. <laughs> so, um, or something similar, um, but definitely look at your options. Yeah, that's good advice. I think that's the thing with them. Um, a lot of, I think particularly girls that are interested in science, a lot of the time they are just pushed towards medicine and not really encouraged to look at other things. Um, so I'm glad that you've kind of had that experience and can share it. If you're interested and you're at that level as well, you can actually apply for programs where you can do like a year in industry. So before you even go to university. Um, so I don't, this was something I was never aware of and I want to make more people aware, hence I'm sharing it on here. <laughs> so um, if, if you are interested in science and you are interested in like getting a job in science afterwards, like why not go do like a year in industry beforehand or go um, get a job in science and see what it's actually like and then go do your degree if and then work out whether the degree is right for you yeah i like that so i feel like you've answered the do you have any advice <laughs> question so uh, what how would you describe what a phd is to someone that hasn't really heard of it before like do you consider it like a job or do you consider it studying or is it kind of a bit both if you think about like the education system as a whole. Let's go with where does a PhD fit first. Um, so when you get to university, you do what's called a bachelor's degree um, or an undergraduate degree. Um, and this can be combined with a master's in some universities and some degrees, and in some it can't. So in science, you can actually do this undergraduate degree and then you can apply for a PhD. So a PhD is a three or four year programme where you study uh, one area and at the end of it you uh, basically write a book on all of the research that you've done and you defend your work and you say this is what I've done, uh, this is how I've contributed to the knowledge of everybody and this is why it's so important and you'll have a panel of people who will decide whether or not you've done enough and whether or not you actually know your field enough um, and they'll decide if you pass and if you pass then you become a scientific doctor or a an academic doctor because you can get one of these in English, you can get it in any subject. 
Um, and what is your favourite thing about your job or your, your PhD? Can I have two? <laughs> I definitely am very bad. So um, I'm actually part of a um, doctoral training programme called um, MOSMED. That's that's the, the like acronym, but it's Molecular Sciences for Medicine. As part of this, I am part of a PhD like almost programme with um, people from Durham University and Newcastle University, and we have lots of industrial partners. Um, so that means that we have lots of companies that are in the industry that potentially we want to go work for in the future that might also be involved in our research at this point. And I have an amazing group of um, PhD students who are also doing this alongside me. So that's one of the things that I really enjoy is doing science with people who are at a similar level, but are also at a level beyond, but that you can like, you can interact with people, you can learn about what their research is. It's a different area of science that I wouldn't get an opportunity to look at otherwise. So that's the first one. <laughs> My second one is I really do enjoy what I'm actually researching and looking at all of these different interactions that I get to and learning new stuff. So every day is a learning day. And um, I, I think that that's one of the best things that you can like ways that you can tackle life is that so I really love learning and that every day is a learning day. Do you have someone or something in particular that inspires you? In terms of inspiration, there are a lot, lot of um, really inspiring people around the world and especially in science itself. I think it's not like a person as such, but something that's very inspiring to me is the amount of like ladies who've won the Nobel Prizes this year. So Nobel Prizes are like uh, amazing prizes in science, which basically say that you're at the forefront of your, uh, the very front of your field. And there's been some really amazing ladies who've actually won prizes this year. Another thing that inspires me is um, when I got to the lab that I currently work in, there was a PhD student there and she's just gone on to get a job in industry, um, which is like almost my dream job. <laughs> so um, it's just inspiring to know that like people can go and do those things and that, that is potentially somewhere that I could get in the future. But it's also, it's like people who are further on in their careers um, who are inspiring for different ways. So there's a professor, Professor Claire Ayres, who works at a different university, not Newcastle. Um, and it's <laughs> and it's inspiring to see that like the research that she's doing and uh, the ways that she interacts with people. Uh, it's just inspiring to see how far you can actually progress and like the breakthroughs that they've already made almost, if that makes sense. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. If you want to find out who we're interviewing next and submit your own questions, take a look at our website, go.ncl.ac.uk forward slash ask our experts or tweet us at STEM Newcastle.